Greetings and welcome to Pops Collection, where we dissect and reflect on a movie or TV show from my Pops Collection. I'm Ron Tweedy. Joining me is Pops, and today we're going to be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Greetings. How's everybody out there doing? I hope well. Yep. How about you, Ron? How are you doing? Doing fine. Doing fine. And uh, we're finally going to be able to see uh, what happened to uh, Scott Lang, why he was uh, missing in the uh, Avengers uh, Infinity War movie. Yes. Well, I think they made mention of it uh, during the Infinity War movies. They did, yeah, because Bruce Banner was uh, uh, surprised that there was both an Ant-Man and a Spider-Man. Yes, and also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, we also found out that Hawkeye wasn't in there. Right, yeah. Both of them took a deal with the government because of the Sokovia Accords to be on house arrest for two years. And they'd be, then be on probation for three years more. So, and as long as they didn't uh, do any more superheroing, they would be fine. Okay, yeah. So, which do you think that I'm pretty sure that it was family motivated? Oh, certainly. Which doesn't mean that the other superheroes don't have families. It's just that for whatever reason, they chose to take those deals, I guess. Because maybe they're the like the C tier superheroes. No, I think it more has to do with they are both of them are they have families of their own. So you think let's look at the other characters. You've got uh, Tony Stark, who he has Pepper, but he's not married to her at this point. You've got uh, Steve Rogers, who is single. You've got uh, Natasha, who is single. You've got uh, Rhodey, which we don't know his. I don't, it's assumed that he doesn't have a family. Uh, I don't right. know if he does Doctor or not. Strange, no, uh, right. no ties. Right. So the only ones that are actually, you know, fathers uh, with young children are uh, Clint and Scott. That's true. So. That's true. Yeah, because I mean, even I guess if they they are others are in a relationship, it's still not motivation enough for them to say, well. Okay, I'll just stay on house arrest. You right, know? right. It's because I think the children part complicate things. Because we look at Wanda, who is also in a relationship with Vision. She's also on the run, but she didn't take a, a deal. Right, right. So. And uh, the others are on the other side. So, right. But anyways, as we learned in Infinity Wars, they somehow got together. Right. This movie, mm-hmm. to me, yeah, I really liked it. It was... As far as the media goes, it was highly anticipated. Right. Even though it had a almost as high a budget as Black Panther. Right. Uh, it really only did 622 mil at the box office. Only. Only. Well, you know what? <laughs> when you go with Infinity Wars, Black Panther, and over a billion right. dollars. Right. That's a big difference. But still, based on the media, yep. it was classified as a highly successful movie. Oh, sure. And it, it is. Absolutely. Yes. I enjoyed it. Uh, you remember the release date on this? I believe it was uh, June 50, 25th, 2018, El Capitan Theater, and uh, July 6th, 2018, for the U.S. wide release. So, uh, you know, summer summer movie, definitely has that vibe of it you know it's this really fun summer blockbuster adventure i mean it's that that is completely just like the first movie i think it was just more of that definitely vibe that we got well paul rudd who plays ant-man in this movie he also was again he had some dealings with the writing Uh of the script so okay he put his two cents in also yeah yeah, I mean, there were actually quite a few writers in this particular one, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, uh, what about anything else you want to get uh, off your chest? We got Wasp now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously the Wasp iteration this time, Hope Van Dyne, and uh, she was a key role in the first film as well, so, and at the very end we saw the, the suit that uh, Hank was showing her, so we knew that was coming. So now we kind of just see that in its fullness here, and uh, we are interested to introduced to uh, a couple more characters as well. So 
uh, as we get through the story, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about them. But um, yeah, it's really interesting. Well, it, the story kind of starts. We get the voice of Michael Douglas as Hank Pym. Right. And he's telling, rehashing right. the story of him and Hope's mother, uh, Janet. Dandine. Yes, that's right. And uh, we saw that story in the first movie. We did, yep. It kind of, I mean, this is the way the movie starts. We just get that right away. Yeah. And he says to her that, you know, Scott came back from the quantum realm. Uh-huh. So he believes that Janet is still alive. Yes. And then he pulls out these plans for mm-hmm. this quantum tunnel. Right. And then we get the opening. Right. And like I shared with you yesterday, uh, not so much of a big opening, you know? Yeah, the title card doesn't show up till the very end of the movie, which I, there, there is precedent for that. I think uh, the first Iron Man as well, we didn't get a, a title opening either. We got it at the very end. So Okay, well, you know, yes. I know, but it just, I don't know, it felt weird to me. Right. And then like I had told you where it said studios. Right. And it had, instead of the I and the O, it had a 10. Exactly. And you shared with me that was, what, the 10th anniversary of the MCU or? Yes. Yeah, because if you'll remember that it was 2008, uh, just a month before this, Free Comic Book Weekend, uh Iron Man was released in 2008. So this is being the summer of 2018. It's the 10-year anniversary of Marvel Studios. So 10-year anniversary. Right. And we got, this is movie 19? That sounds about right. Or 20, right? (laughs) How many, there's 22 total in the phase uh, till we get to the end of phase three? I think so. That sounds right. Right, because so this could be 22. Well, right. no, no, no. Uh, Captain Marvel would be 20. Right. All right. So, anyways, we jump from that little plot where he's talking about building a quantum tunnel. Yep. To a dark cave and a dark mission. Mm-hmm. And, man, I don't know. If I had a dad like that. (laughs) Yeah. But again, I guess he has to be creative because we find out, like you said, that Scott had taken a deal. Right. To be on house arrest. Right. And I I do like that how that that is a clever way of kind of summing up the main plot of the first film. You know, basically the adventure that he goes on with his daughter, which, by the way, is like Piper's favorite part. Um, oh, I bet. Yeah. So they, you know, that kind of was exactly kind of how the main plot of the first film, when he goes in to steal, instead of it being the world's best grandma trophy, he steals the uh, technology from Darren Cross. Uh, right. You know, it's the same. It's the same type of thing. So it was. It, it, it was. An, it was a neat callback to the first film, and it kind of gets people up to speed really quick. So that's a great right uh, thing. If so. they did not see the first movie, but. I don't know. I think you would have to be, you know, underneath a big rock if you didn't see the first one. Right. But, hey, anyway, so she's now his partner and she's helping him. Right. And we also get to see that Luis, he's in the house too. Right. Very creative. I thought it was very interesting. So they do their escape thing and they like, Go down the stairs. I was just wondering, have you guys ever done that? Taken a cardboard box and gone down the stairs or what? Well, our stairs are different in that they uh, terminate down at uh, at a wall, like about, you know, <laughs> foot and a half so from. So if you yeah, did, so, uh, you're, instead of your foot going through a fence, it would go through the wall? Uh, if it went through anything, I might just crash through it. So, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> suffice to say, we haven't done that at our house. Okay. All right. Well, hey, it would be cool if you could. Yeah. Definitely. I was thinking, wow, what a uh, great dad. Yep. And of course, because he's on house arrest and we learn that he only has two days left on house arrest. So that is also fuels part of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Because his foot went through the fence, 
we get a multitude of FBI agents at the house uh, very quickly. Yeah, yeah, you're right. In fact, um, the lead agent for the FBI is uh, Jimmy Woo, who actually is a character that's been around in the Marvel Universe for a long time. In fact, his first appearance was in 1956's Yellow Claw Number 1. And unfortunately, this is uh, an older title that's not available on uh, Marvel Unlimited, so I didn't get a chance to read through it. But um, suffice to say that, that uh, Jimmy Woo is actually a, a character that uh, is uh, from – it's a pretty deep cut from uh, the Marvel Universe. So, All right, so Yellow Claw, was that a hero or was that a bad guy? Or? You know, it's um, – yeah, so I guess Yellow Claw series chronicled the adventures of Chinese-American FBI agent Jimmy Woo and his battles against the Yellow Peril communist Mandarin known only as Yellow Claw. So that's the uh, Wikipedia synopsis of that. So there you go. Okay, and so then Yellow Claw would be the bad guy. Correct. Okay, so I wonder if the comic's called Jimmy Woo or if it's called Yellow Claw. It's definitely called Yellow Claw, and like I said, 1956. So obviously, you know, we're at the uh, you know pretty early in the Cold War, but obviously the uh, Red Menace of China is something that's uh, you know hit the comic book pages at the time. Okay, good. So, and uh, of course, the guy who plays uh, Jimmy Woo is yeah. really, really. Uh, good at being the straight guy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, you really think that he uh, he's definitely not a family man. No, he's by the, by the book. By the book. By the book. Like a Joe Friday. Yeah, yes. Talks to Cassie and goes into yeah. much detail about why her father is where he is and what he's done. And to the point of her just having this spaced out look in her face like, right, what? Yeah. Yep, it's funny. But anyway, so we know that he's got a few more days left, two more days. Yep. And we get this next scene where he's putting, what do you call it, a tracker or something on his foot? Yeah, ankle bracelet. Ankle bracelet, yeah. And so we see him get that bagged up, and he's getting ready to take a bath. Well, before that, I do want to just make a mention of this, because watching it now has a completely different vibe to it. Because, uh, you know, basically, after the FBI leaves, he's like, two more days. I, I can handle being on house arrest for two more days. And there's this montage of him uh, to the tune of Come On, Get Happy, Partridge family. Oh yes. But but the thing is, is that like as he's on house arrest, you see him just like doing everything he can to keep himself not bored. And you know, it, it to me, it just seems a lot different because we've kind of been on lockdown for the lack of better terms ourselves voluntarily the past you know couple months, and so we. I get. I think I can sympathize with him a lot more now than I could back in 2018. Yes, and uh, I do have to say though that he has really honed his basketball skills. Yep. He uh, also became a drummer. Yep. You know, he's done a lot of things, like you say, to keep from getting bored. Don't forget close-up magic. Oh yes, yes. That uh, Agent Wu. Yeah. Wishes he could do right. You know, and so we get a few different things going on. And uh, then he does, I, I, that's right, because Cassie goes with her mom and her stepdad. Right. Right. And he does a car trick like he's going to throw up and it comes out of his mouth. And yep. the agent's just like, how does he do that? You know? Right. right. So, yeah, he's done a lot of things. But as we'll see in just a little bit, uh, somebody else's version of it is not like he's doing hardly anything. Because like I said, he's taking a bath yep, and he has this dream. Right. And so then he is freaking out. So he gets on, he opens up the light switch and he pulls out a phone that I guess he's had hidden there. Right. And uh, he calls Hank. Right. And Hank doesn't answer, but he tells him, hey, I've had this dream. And it somehow, you know, I think it involves you and what have you. And I, I don't remember the exact words that he said, but right, uh, right. 
He, anyways, he just leaves a message because Hank doesn't answer. Right. And then he gets uh, like a little bite on his neck as yeah. he's eating cereal. Yeah, he's eating Fruit Loops and he's watching a film. Do you know what film he was watching? Uh, tell me. It was uh, National Lampoon's Animal House. Uh, anyway, so he wakes up. He's knocked out. He wakes up and he's on the road. Right. Oh, and I I did want to make one quick mention. Like you said, come on, get happy. What did you think about the music in this film? Uh, I mean, soundtrack-wise, I don't think that was kind of the main song that's not part of the score. But uh, from the score standpoint, I found myself at the exact same spot of the first film. Like, you know, I was humming the entire Ant-Man theme all week, all weekend, uh, same thing with this one here. It's a different, a little bit different, different theme to it, but it's it's similar but different. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, exactly the same thing. It's perfect. Yeah, Christoph yeah, Beck like, again. Yes, he he brings it. He does. Oh my gosh! So I just had to get that out. I'm sorry. No, absolutely. Uh, but anyways, so he's in the car with Hope now. Yep. And freaking out because. He's like, hey, I just have two more days. What's going on? Don't worry. Right. Uh, we have an ant there with your ankle monitor, and he knows exactly what you're, what you do every day. And she likes, like, rattles off, like, watches TV for five hours. Right, right. Takes, you know, all this stuff, and he goes, no, I do a lot more than that, you mm-hmm. know. And we kind of had that feeling that he did, but evidently not, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, anyways, so this really kind of, you know, sometimes the movies bring things in that are actually real things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anyways, uh, Hank and Hope believe that uh, Scott is uh, quantumly entangled right. with Janet. Correct. And that is actually a real thing, quantum entanglement. I okay. was like, I was like, really? Wow, you know. I mean, I've heard quantum leap and you know different things like that. So you know, it's kind of, uh, but I never heard of uh, quantum entanglement. So that was something new for me. Does so, that so, mean the same thing that they're talking about? Yes, exactly. So and it's like, but not necessarily people because I don't think that's happened with people. Okay, you know that we had, there's people in the quantum realm, but they're Obviously. talking about two some two substances uh, that are quantumly entangled. Oh, okay. So, but you know, basically the same idea. They mm-hmm. just Marvel just stretched it out a little bit, as they do, as always. Yes. Yeah. So. Anyway, so we're in the car, and then we go to uh, the lab, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, they do. So, so basically, the five minutes after, or five minutes just behind us before Scott calls Hank, they opened up the quantum realm for the first time, and so they think that those two events, because of his the details of his dream, basically he had a vision of Janet playing hide and seek with hope as she was a child and so basically it kind of confirmed that there's no way he could have known those details and so they think that they can get to janet she's still alive and so in order to do that they have to go pick up a part to uh operate the the quantum tunnel again and so that brings us to the next part where hope has to go pick up pick it up from a dealer named uh, sonny birch yes and uh he Good, uh, good choice of actors for this part. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> he just he played it really good. Yeah, I liked it a lot. And also, we got another good song there too. But this also, not only do we meet Sonny, but yeah. uh, towards the end we meet somebody else too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, obviously, Sonny wants to uh, capitalize on Hank Pym and his attack. And Hope's not interested, and so he sends his goons to try to, uh, you know, take her money and not give her the part. And so she ends up uh, transforming into the Wasp in order to get the part and everything. And um, as as the fighting goes on, the tide 
starts going not in her favor. And so uh, Hank sends in Scott with uh, a new Ant-Man suit that's a prototype. And uh, that's going to come back uh, later on. And uh, they work together and they're about to be successful, except there's this other figure there that comes in and we get introduced to uh, one of the newer characters as well, which is a ghost. Right. I didn't know what to call her, but that's basically all they call her in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Her name's Ava. Her real name's Ava in this film. And Ghost actually is a character that's from the Marvel comics as well. Uh, He first was introduced in June of 1987 in Iron Man number 219. And this was Iron Man just after uh, Denny O'Neill, who was recently uh, deceased, uh, today, uh, th- as of this time of this recording, um, he died just recently. Um, but he had a long, illustrious run in DC with uh, Batman and Green Arrow and a couple other very high-profile things. But he came over to Marvel in the 80s, and he worked on Iron Man. And so um, in the Iron Man story where Ghost is involved, uh, Stark uh, Industries, actually Stark International, is bought out by Obadiah Stane, so another character from the MCU that uh, Denny developed. And then he's trying to get his other business off the ground, and this uh, ghost character who's able to phase in and out of matter uh, kind of uh, he has to fight against. But in the book, the ghost character is male, and his identity is never revealed. And so um, that's a little bit of a a departure from the the Marvel material. But it is interesting. Yes, and so and also... Not in Ant-Man and Wasp, as far as in their comics. Um, yeah, I don't think so. It, it, so, the thing about Ant-Man is that uh, there's multiple Ant-Men. Uh, obviously, we have Scott Lang and, and Hank Pym, but there's also, I think, a third one as well. And so, it's possible that the ghost character was brought in at some point uh, with all of them. But, um, you know, we haven't... Uh, I didn't do enough research to, to confirm that or not, but uh, as far as I can see or s- saw, the ghost character was a Iron Man villain. All right. So anyways, we do get some good fighting action here. Yeah. And like you said, uh, Ghost appears and takes the power pack that they need to uh, make the tunnel work. And the lab. And and the lab, and then goes outside and grabs the lab. Right. So then we get all is lost, it seems. Yeah. Except that Hope tells Hank that he should go see uh, somebody for help. Yeah. Yep. And we get to meet another character. Right. Yep. We get to meet uh, Bill Foster, who is played by Lawrence Fishburne. So we get... Another character who's played both in the DCEU and the MCU. So we got, he, he plays Perry White in uh, Man of Steel. And now yes. we have him as Bill Foster. Right. And we're going to have somebody else a little bit later on that does both. Right. But not the DCEU, but a DC hero. Anyway. Not the DCU, but for DC. Right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Bill Foster, who, who was introduced in this film. Uh, he also has a very long history with the Marvel. Uh, universe in the comics so his uh, first appearance was uh, avengers 32 and this story arc was really interesting to me so in this book hank pym is no longer ant-man he is goliath so uh, it's kind of the opposite of what you know he, he normally was so now he's he's big instead of small right anyway at this point in the comic he has uh, figured out not have, he hasn't figured out yet he's able to make himself bigger but now he hasn't figured himself to get back to normal size and so he's stuck being this 10 foot tall giant essentially and so he needs a lab assistant and janet is he's kind of like their boyfriend or girlfriend at the time and so he's been kind of not really accepting of her help and so uh, this guy bill foster comes in to, to help him out and the interesting thing about this is that there is uh, these bad guys in this, this story arc called the Sons of the Serpents. And they are a group that doesn't like foreigners or people who don't look like them. And so they end up, Bill Foster, because he's a black man, they actually accost him. They hurt him, uh, beat him up, and they put a, a stick that looks the shape of uh, a snake on the lawn uh, as a warning saying, you know, you never don't come around here again. We hate you. So obviously it's a very 
thinly veiled uh, analog for the Ku Klux Klan. And uh, the Avengers go on a uh, mission to take them down. And so there's uh, you know, a lot of back and forth with you know, Captain America and them holding them hostage and all, this, all these things. I won't go into detail about that. But Bill Foster's introduced there as the victim of a KKK-like enemy. And uh, the uh, Avengers coming together to help uh, stamp that out. And so uh, there's interesting things about free speech they talk about. Uh, they also talk about, you know, how uh, it's not. So it, it, it's very interesting, the dynamic there. And then uh, so from that story arc, he kind of stays on as Hank's lab assistant for a while. And we don't see him. Uh, be Goliath. Bill Foster takes on the Goliath mantle not until uh, 1975 in an issue of uh, Luke Cage Power Man. And so uh, in this story, Luke Cage is looking for Claire Temple, which two characters from the Netflix MCU uh, part. Uh, anyway, it, it's revealed that as he goes to, to track down Claire who ran away, turns out she was going to help her ex-husband who happened to be Bill Foster. He was kind of in a tight jam with some uh, crime syndicate. And so uh, we get an interesting battle between uh, Power Man and uh, Goliath at the time. And so um, because he was, you know, he had to under the uh, threat of the uh, crime syndicate hurting him. So anyway, that's another interesting thing about Bill Foster. So these characters that they introduce is cool because they have like all this history around them. So hopefully in the future, they'll have even more um, there. So anyway. That's Bill well, Foster. supposedly it was it's supposed to be another Ant Man Wasp movie. Yes, uh, but don't know when that's going to be uh, coming out. So yeah, and we'll talk about that at the I think at the end. At but the I, end, I, I, I okay. definitely, I definitely, I have a idea of how it should be. But obviously, um, you know, if I can get a hold of Peyton Reed, then you know, I'll I'll, I'll pitch it to him. <laughs> so we'll see. There sounds good. Can't hurt, right? Right. So uh, anyway, so Foster, they go to see Foster. Right. Yeah. He's at the uh, at a university as a professor. And so they go to him talking. And I do have the interaction here because it really does talk a lot about the history, but also it kind of reveals a lot more about Hank Pym and his character. And so uh, let's listen to this interaction and then we'll talk more about uh, this afterwards. Okay, doke. It's incredible. You're linked to Janet. It's quantum entanglement between the quantum states of Posner molecules in your brains. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Do you guys just put the word quantum in front of everything? Doctor, we need to find our lab. Hope I'd love to help you, but I don't have anything like the equipment you're describing. I told you this is a waste of time. Come on, let's go. Don't condescend, Hank. You're the one who's on the run from the FBI. All because you had to grow to a size that finally fit your ego. That wasn't me in Germany. It was this idiot. Really? Going that big must have been exhausting. I slept for three days straight. You have no idea. Actually, I do. Back in the day, I was Hank's partner on a project called Goliath. Excuse me, you were a, my partner? The only thing more tiring than going that big is putting up with Hank's bull. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How big did you get? My record? 21 feet. Not bad. You? I don't... No, really, I'm curious. 65 feet. Whoa. Yeah. Huge. 65. If you two are finished comparing sizes, we need to figure out a way to track down the lab. And the great Hank Pym hasn't figured that one out yet? Oh. Strange. You had all the answers back in the day. That's why I left the project. Left? I fired you. Best decision I ever made. Hank was a terrible partner. Temperamental, stubborn, impatient. Sooner or later, he just pushed everyone away. Just the mediocrities. Janet was the only one who could endure him and chose to stick it out. Watch it, Bill. She paid the price, though, didn't she? Yes. I'm here to listen to you two squabble. I'm trying to save my mother. Yeah, so we get a lot more history of Hank Pym from an outside perspective, which I, I really like. And I find that the more I read like Hank Pym, he's like one of the most complex characters I think in the Marvel universe ever. Yes. From the first movie, you kind of almost felt bad for him. Right. Now you just see these different layers. He's, uh, you know, he's probably like almost like Tony Stark. He's real intelligent. Right. And, you know, there's not many that can hold up to him. Right. 
Right. And, and you know, so like he said, he's condescending. A but but bit. he's he also has like some like personality issues that are different than Stark. You know, in in the in the books, they really do explore that side of it. You know, there, there's a point where he becomes abusive to Janet, and she ends up divorcing him. And, you know, he, he kind of gets, has some like identity issues, like just, you know, mental stuff and, uh, very interesting. And the other thing that is interesting to me is that a lot of times, especially the comics in the sixties, when they, uh, use his dialogue, there's lots of biblical references that he uses all the time. It's really interesting to me. There's, there's been no mention of his faith that I could tell in any of the books, but he, frequently goes back and uses biblical references which is i find fascinating it has something to do more with the writer than the character himself i would have to say so yeah so definitely had been more with the writer but you know that's the thing that made marvel what it is Mm -hmm. you know they were not afraid to go down any uh rabbit hole they did a thing about uh, drugs they did a thing right uh, about divorce about right. Uh, abuse right you know they, they there was nothing that really was not untouchable to them and i think that relatability mm-hmm. not only to the characters but to the fact that no matter what they decided to test like you discussed the thing about the KKK and the racism thing. Right. There is always going to be somebody that could relate to that, you know? Sure. And you're going to suck somebody else in to uh, be a part of the story because they can say, oh, wow, I've been there or I know somebody that's been there. Right. So we get this opportunity. And as far as we know, they just really don't care for each other. Right. And he says, I can't help you, but if you had uh, something, I can't remember what he said. Yeah, it's like the uh, old, but if you, basically the old suits that had uh, something with the regulator or whatever, that you could use to reverse the polarity on something and, and figure out as a tracking mechanism to get the, the lab back. So that, that basic, right, which basic, he says the new suits don't have that. Right, exactly. Yeah, basically a bunch of techno babble saying, "Hey, we need to go find an old suit." Which, thankfully, uh, you know, uh, Scott did squirrel away the old suit in the, the trophy that he gave to that Cassie gave to him, world's greatest grandma, and uh, unfortunately, she took it to school for show and tell. And so, right, we get, she did not. Uh, he told her not to take it, but right? She did anyways, right? So we get this really comical scene of him uh, not being able to really get his size right because it's still a prototype suit, and so he's kind of like a uh, like a little kid almost a lot of times. So it's, yeah, it's pretty kind of like a. It is. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and then, then we get this scene where uh, uh, Cassie's uh, backpack is on the top shelf and. Right. Scott is not big enough to reach the top shelf. Right. And so Hope has to get it down for him, you know? Yeah. But it was pretty cool. And they were able to get the old suit and they were to finagle it to where they found where the lab was. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then we get the shot of what happened to the lab. And so we see uh, the ghost character coming back to... Uh, hideout and going into some sort of chamber to kind of help with the phasing issue. And we see that it's a, uh, you know, something to kind of help with the problem there. And so we find out that the person that's helping her is none other than Bill Foster himself. And so that's we're trying to figure out what's going on there. So anyway, like you said, they, they're able to, to track the lab. And so they're heading to the house as well. And uh, at that point, they infiltrate in and uh, they get knocked out, and they're all tied up and restrained. And so that's where we get introduced to Ava, the ghost character, being in league with Bill Foster, and they explain what happened to her. So just like Bill Foster, there was an, uh, Ava's father was also pushed away from Hank, and uh, there was an explosion, and because of the quantum thing, they, that it had an effect on her, and that's the problem. And so she grew up 
being used by S.H.I.E.L.D. as an assassin, a couple things because of her abilities, but now uh, she's starting to deteriorate even more. And so that's why uh, she stole everything from them, because they believe, both uh, her and Foster believe, they could use the technology from the quantum realm to heal her. And so that's the idea. But the problem is that the way that they want to do it would have implications of hurting janet if she's still alive in the quantum realm and so that's that's kind of the big conflict of the film well yeah because she says that uh hank says that it would destroy janet and ava of course doesn't care at all right uh as far as she's concerned hank's the bad guy right you know and you know now the story becomes about disgruntled employees you know pretty much yeah essentially yeah but they wind up they're going to bill and ava are going to just go do it anyways right you know and uh, you know i took this plot and the character the way lawrence fishburne portrays the character Uh uh-huh it almost seems to me like he's not real confident in his self when he's bantering back and forth with Hank mm-hmm. he seems very confident but when it's just him and Ava uh, I almost you kind of get this feeling like he really doesn't want to go down this path because he's not real sure well I think part of it is yeah there, there is a little bit of uncertainty around that but he is committed to helping her but the other part of it is that Ava is willing to do things that are ethically uh, dangerous, right? Like, obviously, you know, at, at what, so what happens at this point is they, uh, Hank, Scott, and Hope are actually able to escape with the lab and the part. And so they leave because the uh, giant ants kind of keep them at bay and, Basically, right. how much did Altoids Altoids play pay for being in this movie? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good question. But Ava's like, look, we got to find them, and Bill's Bill's like, I'll, I'll do what I can to help you out, and she's like, I can't wait that long, you know, just to, to figure it out. I'll go after Scott's daughter, and immediately Bill's like, I'm not, I can't help you if you go do that. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. You're on your own at that point, and so, you know, even though, and I think that does. Uh, help make Bill a way more sympathetic character that he has this uh, ethos and he, he will not resort to doing anything illegal or, or terrible. He'll tolerate, you know, Ava because he believes that Ava was taken advantage of by S.H.I.E.L.D. and I agree with that assessment. But at the same time, he still, he, he won't let her uh, do those things and be a part of it. So I, I do think that it definitely makes Bill a, um, an interesting character, not just a one-dimensional right, character. Right, he has does have a sense of morality. Correct, yeah. So I, I like that a lot. So they get away, <laughs> and they're working on getting the quantum tunnel uh, set up. And as they're working together, um, Louise calls Scott because they've been working on this big project for their company, and... They need to redo the plans, and Scott is the only one that can do it. And so Scott tells them, tells Louise where they are, because they're like in the middle of the forest. That's where they got the lab set up at, and they're, they're working through it. And basically, at that point, they... Yeah, Louise is going to go, and yeah, uh, the bad yeah. guys come in. Right, Birch and his, his lackeys show up. And so um, basically, uh, he... Uh, brings his goons and this guy named Usman, who's a henchman for Birch, is going to inject him with uh, something that's not truth serum, but it is right. truth serum. It's not truth serum, but so, it is truth serum, but it's not truth serum. Right. So, uh, and it, yeah. We get yeah. a great story from Luis. Yeah. Yeah. Let's listen to the story and we'll, uh, we'll talk okay. about it. Okay. You got it? Oh, yeah. man, you're the greatest. You know what? You're right. This isn't truth serum because I don't feel anything. That was a lie. I did feel something. This is truth serum. There's no such thing. Okay. Okay, okay. Now I'm gonna make this real easy for you, Luis. Okay. Where is Scott Lang? Well, see, that's complicated. 
Because when I first met Scotty, he was in a bad place. And I'm not talking about Cell Black D. His wife had just filed for divorce. And I was like, damn, homie, she dumped him when you're on lockup? And he was like, yeah, I know. I thought I was going to be with her forever. But now I'm all alone. And I was like, damn, homie, you know what? You got to chin up because you'll find a new partner. But you know what? I'm Luis. And he says, you know what? I'm Scotty. And we're going to be best friends. Okay, hold on, hold on. I like a good story as much as the next person, but what in the hell does this have to do with where Scott Lang is? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You put a dime in him, you got to let the whole song play out. He's like human <laughs> jukebox. Oh, my abuelita had a jukebox in the restaurant. Yeah, only played Morrissey. And if anybody ever complained, she'd be like, oh, no te gusta más? You know, Chicanos, we call them más. Then adios. Uh, what can I say? You know, we relate to his melancholy ballads, you know? Lang. Right, 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 right. So anyway, this guy gets out of jail and he starts working for him. That's when he met Hope. And Hope's all like, I want nothing to do with you. Look at my hair, dude. I'm all business. And then Scotty's like, you know what, girl? My heart is all broken and I'll probably never find love again. But damn if I want to kiss you. But then you fast forward and they're all like into each other, right? And then Scotty's like, you know what? I can't tell you this, but I'm going to go trash an airport with Captain America. And then she said, I can't believe you split like that. Smell you later, dummy. So Scotty goes on house arrest and he won't admit it. But his heart is all like, damn, I thought Hope could have been my new true partner, but I blew it. But fate brought him back together and then Hope's heart is all I'm worried that I can't trust him and he's gonna screw up again and ruin everything and then my heart is all like that fancy raspberry filling represents a company's red and we're days away from going out of business oh out of business days away damn truth sir you know I, I was trying to protect you guys I swear to god you know I was trying to be a good boss but we're broke and the carpenters are last hope and if we don't show up we're done that's terrible bossing damn bro that's on me that's on me hey enough I'm gonna ask you one more time where is Scott Lang? I've been trying to tell you. He's in a tricky spot, emotionally speaking. Emotionally speaking? Well, where is Scott Lang? Literally speaking! Oh, the woods. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I love that. Yeah, br- brilliant writing. You know, the, the delivery of Michael Pena. I mean, he just, he's perfect with that. But I think this actually, you know, as good as that is, entertaining as that is, I think this really gets to the crux of the entire movie. So we'll um, we'll talk a little bit more about it. But basically, he, when he asks, where is Scott Lang? He answers not in a uh, geographic location, but where he is emotionally. And I think that that's really what the movie, what, what is at the heart of this movie? And so we'll, we'll get to it a little bit later. But anyway, they uh, find out that he's in the woods and not just him, but also ghost who is also there she knows they're in the woods too so now uh she uh ghost slashes the tires of birch so he can't go so she's going to them at the woods and then he find out find out that he's got somebody in the fbi to help go bust them as well and so he's just going to take the technology from him and so that now we have two parties converging at the uh at the lab in the woods so it gets pretty tense at that point it's kind of cool in a way. They, uh, Scott, uh, Louis calls Scott and tells him, "Hey, uh, FBI's coming, and uh, so are the bad guys. You know, you need to go." And when he says FBI, yeah, Scott's like, "Hey, I'm really sorry. I messed up. I yeah, told but- Louis where we were at, and right, right. I gotta go. I right. gotta go home." But before that happens, uh, before uh, Louis calls that uh quantum realm is opened up and janet via scott gives them kind of the pointer to show where that she's at so uh that happens before uh, scott has to bounce and so um yeah they get the scene where they're interacting with paul rudd but they're interacting with him like he's michelle pfeiffer so it's it's pretty funny oh it's hilarious yeah yeah so that, that, that was and good what does he call what does janet call hope Jelly bean. So we get jelly bean and peanuts, man. I'm telling you. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. They do not have jelly bean coated peanuts, but they do have peanuts and jelly beans. So it's all good. Sure. Sure. Food references. Yep. Yep. So uh, you're right. At this point, yeah, they, they call, at least call sets, you know, under the truth serum, you know, basically spills the entire beans, you know, for uh, to Scott. And so Scott has to leave, takes the suit. And uh, obviously, they're really upset with them because, you know, now they have to make an escape and try to get to Janet uh, somewhere else that, that's safer where they can expand the lab again and uh, get get to her. So uh, as they shrink the lab back down to size, the FBI's all there. And so they get busted. Scott gets away. He gets back to his house. 
just in time. In fact, uh, Cassie and uh, her mom and stepdad show up at the house at the same time the FBI does, and Cassie just distracts Wu just enough to where Scott's able to get into the bathroom and make it look like he was sick. So it was, it was uh, just at the nick of time. Of course, Agent Wu is suspicious, but right, right. he's there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and he, he doesn't also, know about the big ant. Right. He doesn't. Yeah. But he does let it slip that uh, Hope and, and Hank were caught. And so they're they're in FBI custody. So he, he knows that they're in trouble and he knows they have to get free and open up the quantum realm to get Janet. And so at the uh, at the end of that, there's a scene where um, Cassie, uh, Scott's daughter, um, has a kind of a talk with him. And this, she kind of introduces, I think, the, the actual real message of the movie. So let's listen to uh, that, that conversation, and then we'll, we'll talk about, I think, the, the crux of the film. Okay. Thanks for covering for me. Sure. So, how long have you been Ant-Man again? Not long. It just sort of happened. I'm sorry for lying to you, and I'm sorry for risking everything. Daddy, it's okay. It's not. I do some dumb things, and the people that I love the most pay the price, mainly you. Trying to help people isn't dumb. Well, I screw it up just about every time. So maybe you just need someone watching your back, like a partner. Well, she's made it clear that's about the last thing she wants. Who? Hope. Wait, who did you think? Me. You? Don't laugh. I'd be a great partner. Oh, Peanut. Oh, you would be awesome. And if I let you, I would be a terrible dad. Fine. I'd have Hope be your partner. She's smart. She reminds me of you. You gonna go help her? I think you should help her. I wish I could, but... I don't know how I can help her without hurting you. You can do it. You can do anything. You are the world's greatest grandma. So, yeah. So I'm gonna say that the real message of this movie is that uh, just like in Genesis 2, God says it's not good for the man to be alone. That's really what this is about. It's it's about how, you know, it it, it takes that bond between uh, a man and a woman to kind of help fill the gaps that we have. And that's what Scott was missing the whole time. That's why – and they had this conversation just before they go to Bill Foster's house about how if he would have asked – uh, Hope would have came with him to help Captain America, and Civil War might have had a very different ending if that happened. So it's interesting. Uh, that that that. Uh, but like I said, I think that's the crux of the film. Right. Well, she kind of says he says to her, "Well, if I asked you, would you go?" And she didn't really say yes or no, but she said, "Well, I know one thing. If I did go, you wouldn't have got caught." Right. Exactly. So you know. So like you said, we need that. Yeah. In our relationships and our life and. uh at this time, uh, me and your mom were going on our 40 years together. So, right. Yeah. I, I really do not want to venture where I'd be if I didn't have her in my life. So, right. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Yep. About my favorite daughter in law. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, it's a good thing. Yeah. Yep. So, that, that's, you know, gives him enough courage to go rescue. Hope and Hank at the FBI custody. So he, you know, transports her suit and some FBI garb. So uh, Hank can make a, a break for it as well. And so they, they break out and uh, they need to figure out where the lab is. And unfortunately, uh, the lab is taken by Sonny. And so there's a very epic uh, car chase scene in the streets of San Francisco. That's pretty much the entire third act of this movie is this uh, uh, total chase to get the MacGuffin, which in this case is the lab. And so... Um, and it's a huge uh, scene. And oh, yeah. also a huge Pez machine. Yeah, yeah. Hello Kitty. Yep. 
Yes, yeah. we get a lot of interesting stuff, and also that's where we get our uh, Stan Lee cameo. Yep, exactly. Yep, as the car, as his car shrinks, he says, "Well, the '60s were great, but now I'm paying for it." Yes, yes, so. which I can't ever remember uh, finding, you know, losing my car, shrinking, or disappearing. Right. Yep. So, uh, but that was a great uh, chase scene. Lasted mm-hmm. a long time, like you said, almost the whole third act. It is, yeah. And uh, things go back and forth, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, they've got the device to shrink it in the van. Right, yeah, and I think, I don't know, I don't think we should go into too much detail about everything because you really could go blow by blow. So basically, after some back and forth, Scott uses the suit to turn into Big Scott, and so he takes it from Sonny, he shrinks uh, as he does, uh, or as he falls into the um, San Francisco Bay, Hope rescues him, and so we kind of get this display of Scott rescues Hope, Hope rescues Scott, and there's like this back and forth to where, like I said, kind of like they fill in each other's gaps, and they're successful there. Uh, they they Ava explodes the the lab up in the middle of the street, and so she's going in there, and at the same time, Hank is going on the mission to the quantum realm to save Janet because it's going to take Hope and Scott working together in order to fight off Ghost while he can go get Janet. And so again, they can't do it by themselves, but together they can do it. And I think that, like I said, that, that is the message of the movie. Right. And not only that, uh, we also get a similar situation with his coworkers and Luis uh-huh. capturing the other bad guys. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and sticking them with true serum. Yes. That was, that was really funny. So yeah. It yep, was that, hilarious. Yep. So we got and that. We also saw that uh, uh, Hank's worries about Janet uh, disappearing yeah. uh, was true. Yeah. And again, just like Hope and Scott, it, he uh, Hank needed, he was going to rescue Janet, but Janet ultimately needed to point him in the right direction, you know, and... Uh, as he descends into madness inside the quantum realm, she brings him out of it. So again, you have the interplay between the two couples, how like one person helps the other person with one thing, then the other person helps the other person, the other thing. So it's like, it's, it's all throughout this movie. And so I, I really think that it, that's the powerful part of this film, even though this is like a fun summer film, there really is a deeper message there. And I think that's what it is. Yes. What we get is that Ava Ghost is trying to suck Janet's life out so she can get better and right. gets foiled by Hope and Scott. Right, exactly. And as they are fighting Ghost, mm-hmm. uh, Hank and Janet make it all the way back. They do, yes. And then Janet, like, just, she's uh, changed. Yes, and she helps relieve her pain. Right, exactly. He, yeah, he, she actually heals her, and she's no longer phasing in and out. So uh, ba- basically at this point, uh, her and Bill, she goes on the run. Bill goes after her, and she's like, you need to leave me. I've done too much. And Bill's like, I'm not leaving you, and we'll figure this out together. So that's the last we see of them in this film. But you can presume that they're still, you know, they're working together after that. But... Well, I'm thinking that it wasn't a total healing based on later on. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Like you said, that's the last we see them. Right. Uh, the FBI is going downtown because they heard right. that there was a giant character there. <laughs> yeah. And so we get uh, the giant suit. Mm-hmm. Agent Wu is telling Scott, you need to shrink down. Right. We know it's you. Yeah. And... uh the suit just kind of deflates. Right, it's empty. So it's empty, and Scott we see is in his underwear and t-shirt, and he's running back home. Right. Yep. Yep. And so he gets home just in time before the the FBI does, and so everything is kind of wrapped up at that point. They uh, they take off the ankle bracelet. He gets to go out and, and have fun with Cassie. Right. Well, don't we get come on, get happy again? Yeah, yeah, you're right. And there's a montage of them, uh, you know, uh, Scott 
coming out and uh, seeing his the rest of his family and, and Hank and uh, Janet on the beach somewhere. Yep, yep, they get a beach house and then the uh, ex-con guys uh, landing the business with Mister Carapathian or whatever his name is. Yes, yes, he saw them on TV. Exactly. Yeah. So it, you know, everybody, everybody wins in the end, except for the FBI, <laughs> I guess. I yes. Don't know. Well, and the bad guys. And Birch, yeah. Birch and Usman, yeah. Birch and then they all have truth serum. Right. And they just are sitting there admitting, yeah, I know, I've been stealing a lot of stuff. And yeah. And then finally, uh, Usman says, oh, it is truth serum. Right. Know? Yeah. And, and the Birch also uh, confesses to numerous health code violations for his restaurant, which is kind of funny as well. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. So, yeah. So, like you say, then... Uh, we go to see a movie yeah. with Cassie and Hope. Right. And they're in a car. And Just drive you know what it, the yeah. movie they're watching? I, I don't know. Which one is it? It's called Them. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a 50s movie about giant ants. Right, right. You know, that uh, basically it was during the time of atomic bombs and they were, you know, it was part of the threat and that was the sci-fi. Right. Well, you know, if the atomic bomb exploded that, Everything, the radiation would make uh, creatures larger or, right. you know. Yeah, basically a lot, of, a lot of the similar origin stories for the Hulk or Spider-Man, radioactive spiders or radioactive beta radiation. Right, gamma right, radiation. right. So we get that and then they're watching the movie and they're having popcorn. And all of a sudden we see a moth on the window. Right. And that just, it was like, okay, that blows me away. Then... We see that uh, he had turned the lights on or whatever to get the moth off, but the uh-huh. moth stayed on. And then we find out that they're miniaturized. Everybody's miniaturized. Right, yeah. And they're watching the movie on a laptop. Yes. And this is when my favorite part of the movie happens. Yeah, that that I was telling. Uh, yeah, I mean, that this is the best ending credit sequence, I think, of all the MCU. It's just so Ever. cool. It's just uh, all the miniatures that they did. Oh, man, it was so good. I love it. It, it, That is a lost art nowadays, specifically with... Dioramas. Right, just just the um, special effects thing. A lot lot of times everybody uh, will overuse CG or whatever. And this was a, a way of them saying, okay, there's still a space for miniature effects. And it, it was, I just love every single one that they did. It was, it was perfect. It was so cool. Oh, yes. Uh, and, it. you know, it reminded me of my time with my HO trains. Yes, yes. You know, and building all those uh, carnival rides and yeah. making them work. That's and right. Putting lights on them and everything. Yeah. It was kind of, I thought, wow, you know, that is a lost art. Now, there are a lot of people that are into uh, wartime things where they do uniforms and, yep. you know, they're very picky about that. And I thought, wow, I wonder if there would be a market for something like that in the superhero genre. Yeah, maybe. You know, yeah, you never know, right? Yeah. But anyway, so that's when we get the credits, roll credits. Yep. And then yep. we get to the middle sequence. Right. The uh, mid-credit teaser, I will call it. Yep, absolutely. Which was, again, we had the yeah. van. <laughs> right, right. And we have all the Pims, well, Pims and Van Dynes right. and Scott. right. That they built the quantum tunnel in the back of the van. Right. And this is why I say I don't think that Ava's totally, uh, you know, Healed. cured. Because yeah. uh, Scott's going to go in there to get some quantum energy. Right. And he's going to harness it in this thing to help Ava get uh, more stable. Yeah, yeah. And that's that, that's the thing I thought about because obviously what happens in the, this part of the film is that as Scott is in the quantum realm, both Janet, actually all Janet, Hope, Hope and Hank get dusted. And so he's like stuck in the quantum realm. Like at the end of Infinity Wars. Exactly, yeah. So that, that we know, uh, you know, from a timeline standpoint, that's exactly around the same time. That's So we get to see what happened to, to Scott and, and, to, and them as well. But that makes me think, I wonder, did Ava, 
and or Bill get dusted as well. Because if they didn't, then the healing particles couldn't get to, to Ava. So I'm wondering if that was the case or not. But at the same time, obviously we know from the next film or the, the film after next that uh, the uh, band doesn't stay in the same spot. So I'm wondering if there was some other thing happening there. So anyway, that's a, another well, thing. Well, we know out. that 50% of the human race yeah. was dusted. Right. So again, we had... That uh, mid-sequence, which yep. told us what happened to them. But right. then we get the rest of the credits. Right. And then I do not have any idea why the ant, you know, the last sequence, yeah, that yeah. was it. It didn't make any sense to me. Well, I think it's just a comedic thing. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I would assume that, that that's the same ant that was kind of sitting in for Scott while he was on house arrest. And so they kind of just kept him around. And I, I guess he was one of the lucky ants that didn't get dusted. And so uh, we just see him playing on the drums. And that's that's pretty much it. I think it's more of a comedic thing than anything else. Yeah, well, that's about it. That's for sure. But yeah, that then we get this little comment that says... Ant-Man and Wasp will return, right. question mark. I see the question mark. That's cool. You know, because as we'll see in a couple of movies, we know Ant-Man comes back, but I don't remember. I'm going to have to watch the movie again to well, see we, if... Yeah, um, she does. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Yeah, there, there's a very specific close-up shot of Hope. So, yeah, you're right. Okay, so then the question mark will be answered eventually. Yeah, and I'm wondering. Yeah, so that's cool. All right, yeah, so that's the end of the film. So what 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 do you want? I can tell. I'll, I'll tell you what I want out of the the third Ant Man movie. Okay. All right. So kind of going with some of the themes that you've said in the past as well. I do think that what what I would want, which is probably not going to happen, is I want a expansion of the story with hank and janet in the 80s with you know ultimately ending with what happens at the end of the beginning of this movie that's what i want so and and whether they get different actors to portray them i think that might be a better way to go instead of trying to have a whole movie with a de-aged michelle pfeiffer and and michael douglas that might be the way to go right or a de-aged cat woman yeah 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 i know i had to throw that in there right you know, because she has been in both realms. Right. But yeah, it would totally fit with the uh, prequel story of Black Widow, you right. know? Right. So that that's what I, I would like. So Peyton Reed, if you're listening, let's do it. I'll write this yes. next script for you. Uh, you could. <laughs> you know, you could even... Uh, yeah, well, Paul Rudd wouldn't be in it then because he wouldn't be... It would be Hank Pym Ant-Man. Right. Or the other thought would be that he has to go back in time to help them. That would be an interesting... Ah, you see what I did there? (laughs) Yes, I did. Back in time. Yeah, so... Definitely. And that song would definitely go good with that movie. Yes, it would. You've already got part of the music theme, and you've already got part of the film. Oh, man. Yeah, that sounds great. I got it. Well, I would also think that would be cool yeah if you went back to the old thing you could develop the bill foster goliath exactly so yep um yes i like that ron definitely all right choice (laughs) definitely okay so i think we've covered pretty much just about everything that you could imagine and uh i'm just gonna say to all of our listeners out there who are married, after you stop listening to this, go hug your partner and give them a kiss. Yeah, absolutely. And tell them how much you appreciate them. That's right. All right, good. Ratings for this one. Yep. So I like uh, this movie a lot. Uh, I'm going to give it an eight. I forgot what I got that gave it the first Ant-Man, but it, this is just as good as the first Ant-Man. And I love... This movie's just like a fun Marvel movie. It's great. It has, and the other part about it, it has wide appeal. Like, you know, my five year old could watch it and get something out of it as well as me as an adult. It's, it's great. So, eight for me. 
Well, I, I'm surprised you said that because on a conversation we had before, you, I remember you saying you didn't really like it as much as you liked the first one. So I'm guessing on second viewing, you changed your mind. I did. And then the other part of it is that, like I said, the house arrest thing, it's a totally different uh, feel for me. You know, right from the COVID nineteen thing, yeah, because you can so so totally relate to that, right? We're going to get into then. Let me just first give my rating, and I'm also going to give it an eight. Yeah, I really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. This is a movie that you didn't need to dig deep to find uh, some substance there. And if you chose not to choose any substance at all, you got plenty of uh, enjoyment with the chase scenes, the comedy, right? Uh, the heart-wrenching parts. Uh, it was thoroughly entertaining. Oh, yeah. And I definitely love the dioramas. It almost, I was like almost thinking... I'm going to have to rip up the spare room and put some kind of diorama in there. Yeah, so. Yeah. But yes, it definitely uh, did that for me. Yeah. Okay, well, what do we have next? Yep, so this, uh, we're going to find out finally what that message that uh, Nick Fury sent the whole time. Uh, the, the beeper? Very- Yes, exactly. We're going to see exactly who he was contacting, and we're going to take a we're going to go back in time, not to the eighties, but to the nineties. So next week we're going to be talking about Captain Marvel. Oh well, that'll be interesting, and I'm going to have to say that we're not going to be able to relate much to this being guys, right? So we we will be having some special guests uh, comment on it as well. So anyway, stay tuned for that. Uh, we want to thank you for. Uh, joining us for another episode of Pops Collection. If you have any feedback, email us at popscollectionpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, like us on Facebook. Leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter. And uh, we're going to see you next week where we're going to be talking about Captain Marvel. Goodbye. And God bless. Goodbye. God bless. And tell your friends. <laughs>